0: Tonight, glad that you're here with us. I survived the nursing home service. I led singing somehow, and Kurt said I did a good job. So that, that makes a, <laughs> a great deal of uh, uh, that encourages me. We'll put it that way. Our lesson for tonight is on Second Thessalonians. We've been studying uh, the books of First and Second Thessalonians for a little while now. And We've got at least another couple of weeks, so this will carry us through the end of this month, at least on Sunday nights. Our lesson tonight is one that I mentioned this morning, was one of great interest, in that there's a lot more that we don't know about this chapter than what we do know about this chapter. We're only going to get into the first 12 verses of the chapter. We'll get into the last part of it and going into chapter 3 next week, Lord willing. Tonight's lesson is entitled, The Falling Away. There's a lot of mystery that surrounds uh, what is being said here. But let's just get into the first few verses and then we'll get into uh, the the descriptions of what's actually happening here. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 beginning with verse 1. We'll read through verse 4 to start with. 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 1. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. We have to remember the purpose of the writings. One of the main subjects regarding First and Second Thessalonians was the day of the Lord. The day that Christ would return again for his people. since there was a lot of mystery, there was a lot of worry as to what that meant. And even today we see that there are a lot of people who still worry about the coming of Christ. Those that are not Christians, and particularly those who who don't know exactly what's going to happen. Paul wrote to encourage the people, to comfort them in regard to these events. This is not something that was to... Be dreaded, but for the Christian, it's something that is looked forward to, just as we would look forward to to seeing loved ones and things of that nature. This was something to be looked forward to, and in this case, it, it's certainly no different. That being the primary purpose of this writing, that that's what the events of this chapter sur- surround. It, it's basically saying. It hasn't come yet. It, it, these are, there are certain things that are going to take place before this happens. But they have not come yet. And Paul warns them that they should not be shaken in mind or troubled. Very similar words to what he has written beforehand. We were reminded of those even today who are easily excited about predictions of the Lord's return. We've seen instances in the last few years of certain people who have predicted the coming of the Lord. They've tried to predict the date and say this is the time that the Lord will return for His people. And what happens is people get all excited about it. (coughs) They get excited and they quit their jobs. They sell possessions and things of that nature thinking that the day of the Lord is coming. Paul warned them not to do that. He warned them not to be easily excited in that way. <coughs> I think I'm going to need my water. I have to get it in a minute. Many will sell their possessions and quit their jobs. Paul's warning was that they not believe these false claims and, and allow themselves to be driven to madness. Christians are to be soberly watching and waiting for his return. Thank you very much. We are be soberly watching and waiting for what is to be. Paul begins his Galatian letter, Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, with this. Galatians 1, beginning with verse 6. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from Him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you, than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you, than what you have received, let him be accursed. Basically, the premise of what Paul is writing is that Christians should not believe everything we hear. There are going to be rumors of certain things. There are going to be signs that that people look at and think, well, this is the the time. Don't believe everything you hear. He gives them an idea of what would be faced before Christ would return. And this is where there's a lot of great mystery, a lot of things that we don't understand uh, about what he is saying. First of all, there would be a falling away. What is the falling away? Basically, it would be a great apostasy of some kind that was to arise from within the church. A great deal of a great many people that would leave the church or leave the service of God for one reason or another. We don't know exactly when that would be. We don't know that that's happened yet. We we just don't know a lot about. ...what this would be, except that it would be a great apostasy of some kind. Similar is mentioned in Hebrews chapter 6, and many connect this passage to it. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift... ...and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the good word of God... ...and the powers of the age to come if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put Him to an open shame. From what we read of in in Hebrews, this is not referring to the falling away, the great apostasy. This is more of an individual type thing. Uh, But those who have known God, those who, it says, have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance, it, it would be very difficult to do that since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put Him to an open chain. This is on an individual basis, but it does show us that one person can fall away and it shows the consequences of those actions We must be aware that as individuals we can fall away from God. Although that that may not have anything to do with the great falling away that we read about in 2 Thessalonians. The man of sin is mentioned. He was to be revealed. The son of perdition. Who is the man of sin? Who is the son of perdition? Again, we don't know. Some apply this to Roman Catholicism. Looking at the Pope maybe even as the man of sin. Although there are some, some things that, that would say that that's not the case. Again, it's impossible to know for sure who these things are referring to. Another theory that I found was that this might be a principle. That this is a principle that would work to set aside God's law and order. Establishing its own leading to the ruin and perdition of people or itself what we do know is found in verse 4 who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God showing himself that he is God and to go beyond what we read here would be mere speculation One interesting thing that we find in Scripture about the son of perdition is that Judas was also referred to as a son of perdition. In John chapter 17 and verse 12, While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition. That the Scripture might be fulfilled. One thing that we know about Judas is that because of his crime, because of what he did, and because he did not repent, his fate was condemnation. And that was the same as the son of perdition mentioned in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 4. Then we get into the last part of the chapter about the lawless one who is the lawless one. Again, we do not know. But let's read the verses. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 beginning with verse 5 and reading through verse 12. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power of signs and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth. That they might be saved. And for this reason God will send them strong delusion. So that they should believe the lie. That they all may be condemned. Who did not believe the truth. But had pleasure in unrighteousness. Going back to verse 5. It says do you not remember. We are obviously in the dark regarding the things that Paul taught them. While in their presence. We don't have a record of what he had to say. But he asked them to remember. To recall what he had already taught them. Because they had additional teaching. They understood this better than we can. And sometimes that's the case in scripture. Some things it's just hard for us to understand. But to those that it was written to. It's much easier for them to understand it. Our understanding though imperfect. Is everything we need to know. To have at least a basic understanding of what is being taught here. To know what God wants us to know. In verses 6 and 7, we read that this lawlessness was being restrained. How was it being restrained? Who was doing the restraining? One thing that, that we do understand about these verses is that God was in control. And would only reveal the mystery of it when He was ready. God is always in control of our surroundings. And in this case it is certainly no different. This lawlessness was in His control. His restraint would not be ended until it was taken out of the way. Again, all of these things would happen before the return of Christ. The mystery regarding the lawless one was not in who he was. But that he would be taken care of. How he would be taken care of. When we look at the lawless one. I think we have a tendency to look and say. Well who is it? Who is this lawless one. That the scripture is talking about. But that's not the point of of what's being written here. That's to point out that the lawless one. Was taken care of. He would be destroyed at the brightness of His coming. In the end, one of the things that we recognize about Christianity and about the end times and about the return of Christ is that Christians are ultimately victorious. This lawlessness would be taken care of. There is no need to worry in that regard. Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. Romans chapter 8, beginning with verse 31, says this. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but deliver him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is He who condemns? It is Christ who died. And furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. In verse 37 Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Christians are victorious. So the lawless one and this lawlessness that is referred to in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 is something that we should not fear. Knowing that God is in control. The lawless one would come in the power of Satan, that is, supernaturally, as we read in verses 9 and 10. Jim Shearer had this to say about these verses Power indicated the supernatural force behind the miracles. Signs pointed to something beyond themselves. Wonders were things that amazed man, which man could not explain. Lying went with all of these. So we look at verses 9 and 10. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan. With all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception, among those who perished because they did not receive the love of the truth they might be saved whenever we look at all these things again these things are in God's control these things were, were done in the spirit of deceit and so all of these signs and wonders that are through the power of Satan were done in an effort to deceive those who would believe them who were deceived Who were they who were deceived by these things? Those who had not received the love of the truth because they had rejected it. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, it says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first, and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed, from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God's salvation for everyone who believes. These who were deceived were those who did not believe. They had not received the love of the truth because they had rejected would been presented. As we get into verses 11 and 12. And for this reason God will send them strong delusion. that They should believe the lie and that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but have pleasure in unrighteousness. May be careful not to misunderstand what is being said here. God does not send this strong delusion, as much as He allows those things to be believed. If one is unwilling to receive the truth, what more can be done for such an individual? As we read, going back to Romans chapter 1, God will eventually give up those who continually reject Him. Romans chapter 1, verses 24-32 through 32, Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Verse 26, for this reason God gave them up to vile passions for even their women exchanged the natural use of what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. Verse 28 And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. Verse 32, Who knowing the righteous judgment of God, those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. For someone who continually rejects God, what more can be done? God eventually gives these individuals up to their pleasures, to whatever they are serving other than himself. And eventually they must face the consequences of their actions. Mark 16.16 puts it very plainly. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. Anyone who does not believe does not obey the word of God not be seen as righteous in his sight. Going back to Second Thessalonians. That they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth. But had pleasure in unrighteousness. This is the consequence of their actions. This is the consequence of rejecting God. One of the things that we pointed out this morning. I believe in our Bible class. Is that God is a righteous judge. God will will not judge in such a way as as man judges. Whenever man judges a, a crime or something that is done, we have an imperfect knowledge of what has occurred. And so our judgment may be imperfect. And a lot of times we see criminals who are sentenced to years Uh, penalty and then maybe they realize that, that they're not guilty after all that's not the case with God God knows our hearts he knows every individual he knows our actions he knows the reason for them he knows all God is a just judge and he will not condemn anyone who is undeserving of condemnation but for those who have rejected him, those who are worthy of such condemnation, that is consequence of their actions. Paul's warning in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 is that yes, Jesus would return, but there must be some things to happen before he returned. He did not give these things in such a way as, so that these people might be looking for them so that they would know when Christ would return. So many people today look at passages such as this and they look at Revelation and other passages in Scripture and they look for all these signs and wonders and they think the Son of God must be returning soon because all these things are happening. That wasn't the purpose of these writings. The purpose of these writings was to provide comfort to Christians. To to tell them of what would happen before. But to warn them that He would return. In many cases we're, we're told that His return is a mystery as to when it will be. But we are to be ready. Knowing that Christ could return at any time. We are to be sober. Watching waiting for the Lord to return. Talked a little bit about, at the end of the the lesson, about those who reject (coughs) God. Those who reject His teachings. We have been given the Word of God. And we're not left ignorant as far as all of these things are concerned. We have fair warning about what is to come and about Christ's return. I hope that all of us are Christians. Maybe it is that someone here is not. Maybe you need to obey the gospel. Maybe you need to be baptized for the remission of your sins and would we'll be glad to take care of that need in your life. Maybe it is that, that you have not remain faithful. Maybe you need to come back we always offer the invitation because we never know the hearts and the minds of the individuals that are gathered. And certainly we don't want to leave anyone outside of Christ. If you're in need of responding to the Lord's invitation in any way, if there is something that we can do to assist you, we ask that you please come. As together we stand and as we stand.